In the name of the Holy and Undivided Trinity, Amen. When Jesus stood up to teach in the synagogue, he puzzled everybody, to say the least. His listeners were used to having a teacher go through the scriptures verse by verse. Jesus didn't do that. He told them that God's new community is already showing up. He focused on what was on the verge of happening then and there. He didn't quote anybody else. He acted as if what he said just might be worth hearing on its own. He taught them as one having authority. They couldn't decide what to do with him. But on that day, Jesus did get one ringing endorsement. One of his listeners stood up and told everybody that this was the Holy One of God. The only problem is that the endorsement came from a man everybody knew was out of his mind. Back then, they called it demon possession, but the label doesn't matter. His behavior was bizarre. So his endorsement wasn't much help. Here's this new teaching. We don't know what to do with it. But then one of us says he does know, only we don't know what to do with him. The thing is, what this deranged man says sounds pretty much like what we've been taught ourselves. After all, if we call ourselves Christians, don't we agree that Jesus is at the very least the Holy One of God? Isn't that pretty close to what many scholars say is the actual title of Mark's Gospel, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? It's a very orthodox-sounding endorsement. But I guess Jesus didn't care so much about orthodoxy that day. Instead of congratulating this guy, he basically says, if I may paraphrase, oh, shut up and get over it. Obviously, Jesus hasn't had that intro course in pastoral counseling. That's just not what you're supposed to say to somebody who's troubled. And I promise not to do that. On the other hand, this time it seems to have worked. Because the man really does snap out of it. You'd think that might have helped with Jesus' listeners, but it still left them confused. Some of them may have wondered if it was okay to cast out demons on the Sabbath. There were rabbis who said it was perfectly okay, but there were others who said it's better to wait till sundown. Almost everybody else who wasn't a rabbi would rather not have to take sides. Let the experts argue with each other. So here's this teacher who doesn't base things on the Bible, at least not the way they think he should. He doesn't like it when he gets an orthodox-sounding endorsement. He's downright rude. And when he does do something they might like, they're not sure about the timing. 
No wonder everybody's confused. How could they not be? He did get people's attention that day, and he got people talking about him, for better or worse. He left everybody asking, what is this? What is this new teaching with authority? But nobody knew quite what to do with him. It's been nearly 2,000 years, and after all this time, we still aren't sure what to do with him. We sing songs about him. We recite the Nicene Creed. We pray in his name. We even pray to him. But then, just when it seems that we fit him into our lives, we turn to the Gospels, and there he is acting up again. He doesn't quite fit anybody's picture. He just won't behave. Maybe that's at least part of why we still can't help listening to him. Maybe it's his inexplicable behavior that gives his words a new authority and a new power to change us. Yes, he can be rude. Yes, he keeps refusing to act the way we'd expect God's Holy One to act. Yes, he leaves us asking, what is this? And yet, somehow, what he says and what he does keeps, keeps bringing us back to ourselves, to the way we're meant to be. While I've been pondering this story this week, I keep thinking back to times when I have heard a new teaching with authority. Often, it's been in this space where I'm sitting in my usual spot. Often, it's been during the homily. Often, it's been when I find myself not just reciting parts of the service I know by heart, but actually waking up to where those words are pointing me. But just as often it's been through a phrase or a gesture somebody tossed off or performed almost inadvertently. Sometimes it comes from someone I think I'm counseling, only to discover that they are counseling me just as much. It may not be well phrased. It may be the opposite of what we would advise somebody to say. But somehow it becomes a new teaching with authority, bringing me back to myself the way I'm meant to be. One of those times, decades ago, actually shaped the way I decided to paraphrase Jesus' words today. Oh, shut up and get over it. A friend of mine, now himself an Episcopal priest, was obsessively freaking out about something. I forget what. And he tried to call me for advice. This dates back to when people tried to call each other on their landlines at home. I wasn't there, but Pete, my late first partner, was there. A handful of you remember Pete, and you'll probably remember that, charming though he could be, he was just as often blunt, exasperatingly blunt, to the point of rudeness. 
So, true to form, after listening to my friend explain what was freaking him out, Pete's pastoral response was, Well, that's just the way life is, honey, so get over it. And wouldn't you know it, my friend told me later, he suddenly felt better. And while maybe he didn't get completely over it, whatever it was, he did find himself able to get on with his life. Somehow, Pete's not very sensitive words brought him back to himself, to the way he's meant to be. I do suspect that part of what snapped him out of his fixation was that ally though he was to the likes of Pete and me, he just wasn't used to having another man address him as honey. It may have been that one campy word that transformed a tiresome truism into a new teaching with authority. But that is what it became. That's one story, mine. But here's one many of us might share. Pause a moment and ponder what happened to some familiar words when our anti-racism committee made them the title of the documentary we premiered a few weeks ago. What we have done. What we have left undone. We pray those words so often that most of us don't need to open our prayer books and they can pass us by without affecting us. But when they become a title that sums up the whole theme of this documentary, the stories of how All Saints has and has not dealt with racism, and about all that remains to be done, these familiar words become for so many of us a new teaching with authority. What we have done, what we have left undone, For those of us who have watched this documentary and discussed it, I'm sure many of us are where most of Jesus' listeners were. We're asking, what is this? And we're still wondering what our own next step should be. There aren't any recipes. But for many of us, often the same people, it's been more intense, even a kind of exorcism, Attitudes we didn't notice we had and didn't want to notice were exposed to the light of day. And while sadly they may not have been totally cast out, still, because they've been exposed, they're starting to lose their power to shape us. Through familiar words we know by heart, we've heard a new teaching with authority bringing us back to ourselves, to where we're meant to be. Way back then, Mark tells us, Jesus brought his message home to his own worshiping community, and everybody heard it as a new teaching with authority. Some lives were utterly transformed. Here we are today, another version of his own worshiping community. And here he still is among us and before us and within us, 
using words we may know by heart to bring us a new teaching with authority. May they once again bring us back to ourselves, to where we are meant to be. Amen.